Hey everyone, just a brief word before we start. I was late getting out the last episode and didn't get a chance to put a YouTube version together. But if you're interested, the audio version is out there. It's number 348. And I believe I simply entitled it Pop Culture and News Stories. In it, I discuss Joaquin Phoenix's acceptance speech, the movie's bombshell and parasite, and also some religious news stories. Specifically, the case of some missing children whose mother claims to be a god. And actually, friend and listener Liz Marie alerted me to that one. Uh, and then also a priest who implies that abortion is worse than pedophilia. And Jim Baker selling a snake oil cure for the coronavirus. But now on to today's episode. There's that fancy intro sound. It actually kind of sounds like Anderson Cooper's. I haven't decided if I want to keep the classic intro or not. Sometimes I get a little bored with it and want to shake things up. Anyway, so Richard Dawkins and eugenics. What could go wrong? I think this is going to be one of those ones where just by being honest, I can end up pissing off people on either side of the uh, divide. So if you weren't aware, famed evolutionary biologist and outspoken atheist Richard Dawkins recently caught some flack on Twitter for suggesting that in theory, uh, morality aside, eugenics, the selective breeding of humans for desirable traits, would probably work. And he was very clear that just because something is possible doesn't mean that it's moral. I'll actually read the tweet so you can hear what he said verbatim. And so he says, it's one thing to deplore eugenics on ideological, political, moral grounds. It's quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice. Of course it would. It works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Why on earth wouldn't it work for humans? Facts ignore ideology. And as I said, he received a lot of flack, so he then responded with a couple of follow-up tweets. For those determined to miss the point, I deplore the idea of eugenic policy. I simply said deploring it doesn't mean it wouldn't work. Just as we breed cows to yield more milk, we could breed humans to run faster or jump higher. But heaven forbid that we should do it. Then he followed that up with, a eugenic policy would be bad. I'm combating the illogical step from X would be bad to so X is impossible. It would work in the same sense as it works for cows. Let's fight it on moral grounds, deny obvious scientific facts, and we lose or at best derail the argument. And so I was really surprised when he caught so much backlash for this because I thought both the initial tweet and the follow-ups were so rational, well-worded, and morally conscientious that how could anyone take issue with what he was saying? But then again, I kind of wasn't surprised. It's Twitter. It's a giant dumpster fire. And often the top priority seems to be engaging in one-upsmanship and, you know, virtue signaling and trying to prove how clever or snarky you can be within the 280 character limit, you know? And yes, I did employ the phrase virtue signaling. Don't worry, still a lefty. I just mean that moral posturing shouldn't take precedence over facts, reason, and logic, you know? And I think part of the problem is that the word eugenics is just so loaded. It's such a controversial topic in general that just bringing it up, you, you know, risk ruffling some feathers. 
And I kind of get it. Now, I think it speaks well of people that they want to guard against the return of the ugly ideology associated with the eugenics movement of the early 20th century. And I know it's disturbing to think about, but years before Nazi eugenics policies were put into place, you know, culminating in the nightmare of the Holocaust, the so-called final solution, we had active eugenics programs right here in the U.S. We had prominent figures promoting things like forced sterilization, marriage prohibitions, and even euthanasia for so-called imbeciles and defectives. People like the Rockefellers and the Carnegies pouring money into eugenics research. And there were active sterilization programs here in the U.S. The first might have been in Indiana in uh, 1907, but other states implemented sterilization programs too. Scholars seem to agree that there were about 64,000 cases of forced or compulsory sterilization in the U.S., and that's without factoring in the forced sterilizations that took place after 1964. And this is deeply disturbing, but there were cases of forced or coerced sterilization of Native American women stretching into the 1970s. Uh, so we took your land, plundered your resources, now let's sterilize your women on top of it. Uh, it's really ugly, horrific stuff. So I get why eugenics is such a sensitive topic. But once again, just because the institution or implementation of certain eugenics policies might be morally reprehensible, that doesn't mean that eugenics or the selective or controlled breeding of humans in general wouldn't quote-unquote work. A more logical criticism I've heard of Dawkins' statements is that eugenics might not quote-unquote work. And the reason why I keep putting work in quotes is because I think we have to kind of define what we mean by work or, you know, what success in the context of eugenics would mean. One thing that occurred to me, and I've heard others make the same point, is that similar to selectively breeding livestock or companion animals, you might be able to select for certain desirable traits, but as the gene pool gets smaller or stagnates, you could start seeing the rise of unforeseen or unwanted traits, certain health problems, defects, etc. Uh, we're probably all aware that most purebred dogs are susceptible to certain breed-specific ailments or health problems. And as a dog person, and I don't mean a dog-human hybrid, probably didn't need to clarify that, as someone who loves dogs and who's, you know, had dogs pretty much all their life, I've had to deal with breed-specific uh, problems like collapsed trachea, luxating patella, arthritis, heart trouble, etc., etc., I'm actually dealing with that right now. I can't believe how time flies. I got my long-haired chihuahua when she was just 10 weeks old, and she's now 10 years old, and uh, she has heart problems. I have to give her medicine every day. Um, also, probably a bit of a collapsed trachea, which is common with uh, smaller breeds. And I did those recent episodes on animal welfare, and I touched on how types of livestock are often bred to be bigger so that they yield more meat, often to the detriment of the animal's health, uh, you know, like turkeys that are too big to walk properly, etc. And so there'd probably be similar repercussions if you attempted to breed humans for certain desirable traits. And it reminds me of a documentary I saw on genetic engineering a long time ago. 
There was a part that really caught my attention because it dealt with the idea of trying to eliminate depression with genetic engineering. And the scientist being interviewed made a really interesting point. He said something to the effect that, let's say you could edit or program DNA so that a person's brain was better at producing or utilizing the neurotransmitter serotonin. There might be unintended consequences similar to taking an antidepressant, where, yeah, serotonin levels are higher and that's great for your mood, but then that increase in serotonin might also have a negative effect on other bodily processes like sexual arousal. So you might end up with a bunch of happy people that aren't really interested in sex. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. So whether we're talking about high-tech genetic engineering or just selective breeding, trying to get a desired trait can be tricky. Uh, so let's say you have someone trying to breed a blue-eyed Nazi Superman, but it turns out that there's also certain health issues associated with blue eyes. And I believe that blue eyes, and I'm saying this as someone with blue eyes, are associated with a higher risk of cancer, specifically melanoma of the eye, I believe. Because of the lower melanin levels and therefore, you know, a lack of protection against UV rays. So you pay all this money for an army of Nazi supermen and now you have to buy them all Ray-Bans. And I always thought it was kind of interesting how you hear this talk of Nazi supermen. But Superman, the comic book character, I believe both his creators were actually Jewish. <laughs> but, you know, um, that whole thing, the Superman, that goes back to uh, Frederick Nietzsche or Nietzsche, tomato, tomato, his concept of the Ubermensch, the Overman. Uh, and I think it's unclear whether or not the creators of the Superman comic book character were influenced by uh, Nietzsche's uh, Ubermensch. But anyway, where was I? Yeah, so if you measure success based on whether or not you can actually get results then yeah, I think it's safe to say you can definitely selectively breed animals, including the human animal, for certain traits. So it works in that sense, but selective breeding also comes with all sorts of problems and obstacles. And hopefully I don't even have to say this, but I'm a left-leaning dude. I believe we're all members of the same species, so I find... Ideas such as forced sterilization, marriage prohibitions, especially based on race, I find all that stuff abhorrent. And so here's where I might start sounding a, a bit crazy. <laughs> but as someone who's fascinated by science and doesn't have any religious hang-ups or concerns, I have no problem with genetic engineering in general. My thinking has long been that as long as the individual produced by genetic engineering, cloning, whatever, is treated with the same respect and granted the same rights as someone who's produced the old-fashioned way, you know, that I don't have any issues. Uh, I don't have any uh, hang-ups about scientists, quote-unquote, playing God, etc. I'm actually the type of person who gets really excited thinking or dreaming about how far science can take us as a species. Uh, my only other caveat regarding cloning, genetic engineering, etc. is the quality of life of the individual created. I already said that I think individuals who are the product of cloning or genetic engineering should be treated with the same respect allotted any other person. But I also think quality of life should be a factor too. If a clone or a genetically engineered being is going to be born plagued with health problems resulting from imperfect or experimental genetic science, then that's awful and very you know, morally problematic to say the least. But let's say science takes us to the point where a couple who wants a child 
can select traits from a menu, so to speak. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, a, a child with this eye color uh, around yay tall, etc., etc. As long as the resulting child was healthy and treated with the same respect to any other person, I'd be like, have at it. And it wouldn't surprise me if we did reach that point in the relatively near future. I remember when I was a kid, so-called test tube babies were controversial. People likened it to playing God. And now in vitro fertilization seems relatively normal. It's no longer a big deal. But as I mentioned in a relatively recent episode, I think there really is this lamentable schism that occurred in the so-called quote-unquote atheist community. There's a, a kind of culture war transpiring, the PC people versus the anti-PC people. PC as in political correctness, not personal computer. <laughs> and I think this is another example of that. Richard Dawkins has kind of been recast as the heel or villain. If he said this at the height of his popularity, when he was still kind of universally adored by the atheist or skeptic community, skeptic, there's another uh, loaded term nowadays, but you know what I mean. If he had said, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, in a nutshell, that eugenics might be morally reprehensible, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't quote unquote work in practice, it probably wouldn't even be an issue. It might be an issue for Christians or religious types who have a fear and resentment of so-called Frankenscience, you know, of people playing God, etc. But I feel like most rational non-believers would be like, yeah, makes sense. If you can selectively breed cows, dogs, horses, and plants, why wouldn't the same process work on humans? It might not be a perfect process. There might be undesirable traits or health risks genetically linked to the traits you're selecting for. But it would probably quote-unquote work. And maybe quote-unquote work is the drinking game word of the week. Anyway, you know, work in the sense that you can breed for a specific trait and to some extent get the desired result. But I think now many view Dawkins as being on the wrong side of the political correctness divide, so there's a tendency to be less charitable towards him when he makes a public comment or statement that, you know, might seem a bit controversial. But I don't want to absolve Dawkins of all responsibility regarding the negative way in which some fellow atheists now view him. He has made some missteps or said some questionable things. Specifically, there was the time not too long ago where he seemed to be coming to the defense of some right-wing Christian group on Twitter, and he couched it as having something to do with political correctness. But I think if I remember correctly, he quickly walked his comment back upon realizing, you know, the exact nature of the group he was sort of defending or, you know, putting a positive light on. I tried to find the exact tweet, but hunting for it is quite the task. He has a very active Twitter account. And here's another tweet relating to genetics. It shows a kitten that was uh, genetically modified to glow in the dark. And he's half-jokingly commenting how, in theory, it should work on humans, too. You could have a glow-in-the-dark baby, perfect for Halloween. And I think it's good to remember that Dawkins himself is an evolutionary biologist. So this stuff is in his wheelhouse. It makes sense that he'd want to chime in about genetics and biology. And if you go through the copious tweets on his account, most of them are just good old anti-religion, pro-reason and science Dawkins tweets, you know? Like there's one here responding to a Guardian article 
about a group campaigning to end witch persecution by 2030. Uh, and Dawkins says, 2030, let's make it happen sooner than that, you know? And that might sound crazy, but yes, in parts of the world, uh, people are still killed for supposedly being witches. Uh, it's it's awful. I think there's been a, a lot, most of those stories come out of Africa. I think there's similar stories coming out of parts of India. Yeah, you know, the year 2020, and there's still places in the world where people are being uh, executed for being witches. And speaking of the schism in the atheist community, I guess I'll end by bringing up something I, I noticed earlier today, that Rebecca Watson actually made a video in response to all this. She made a video on Richard Dawkins and eugenics. And man, does that bring back memories. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the old days of Elevator Gate and uh, Dare Muslima. Man, I think this was back around the time when Gamergate was going on and all that stuff. And I remember just kind of stumbling into all that. When I started this podcast, I was naive in the sense that I didn't know much about the online atheist community. And all of a sudden, you know, I find out about free thought blogs, uh, Gamergate, Elevatorgate, all that stuff. So what Elevatorgate was is you had Rebecca Watson, an outspoken atheist and feminist. Uh, I believe she used to be one of the hosts on A Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I think that was the, the podcast. And she had an uncomfortable experience at a uh, like an atheist convention or something like that, or, or after uh, after it. Um, it, I think it was late at night. She was in an elevator, and there was a guy in the elevator with her, and the guy kind of like you know hit on her, or uh, I think as she herself put it, you know, asked if she'd like to go to his room or her room or something for coffee. And so she made a video about this experience and people were very divided about it. You know, Richard Dawkins famously wrote the, uh, the Dear Muslima letter. You know, I forget where he posted it, but uh, I don't know if it was Twitter or what, but it was kind of um, a satirical response to her. And in it, he's acting as if he's addressing an oppressed Muslim woman somewhere in the Middle East or whatever, and um, comparing what they go through, genital mutilation, that kind of thing, and what, you know, comparing that satirically to what Rebecca Watson was complaining about being, you know, like hit on in an elevator or whatever. And so I actually found it online. So here it goes. So it starts out, Dear Muslima, Stop whining, will you? Yes, yes, I know you had your genitals mutilated with a razor blade. And yawn, don't tell me yet again. I know you aren't allowed to drive a car, and you can't leave the house without a male relative. And your husband is allowed to beat you, and you'll be stoned to death if you commit adultery. But stop whining, will you? Think of the suffering of your poor American sisters, or uh, think of the suffering your poor American sisters have to put up with. Only this week I heard of one. She calls herself Skeptic. And do you know what happened to her? A man in a hotel elevator invited her back to his room for coffee. I am not exaggerating. Blah, blah, blah. And, and so, you know, it goes on a little longer in that vein. 
And so I just noticed the date on it, July 2nd, 2011, 11, 11 a.m. I'll never forget where I was. But uh, I remember actually losing a listener because of all this. Uh, I guess she didn't appreciate the way in which I handled the topic. I think, and hopefully I'm not, uh, you know, sugarcoating things or remembering things inaccurately in a way that's more flattering to myself or whatever, you know, um, or, or that put me in a better light. Because I think, in fairness to myself, I think I did at least, you know, attempt to try to empathize with, you know, how a, a woman might feel in a situation where she finds herself trapped in a confined space with a guy she doesn't really know well or maybe not at all. And even if the guy thinks he's being respectful, you know, makes a pass at her, how maybe uncomfortable or even, you know, how afraid that, that might make you feel. But that being said, I think, you know, I have to admit, I probably did also, you know, get a chuckle out of the Dear Muslima letter. And maybe in, in some way, because of the messenger, maybe you know, there was something about Rebecca Watson that kind of rubbed me the wrong way that, um, you know, I, I didn't handle it as respectfully as I could have. And so, yeah, I lost a listener over that. And I think, you know, if I could do it again, I think I would have tried to emphasize more that, you know, we can try to walk and chew gum at the same time. We can recognize how horrific the treatment of women in certain parts of the world is, where female genital mutilation is practiced, etc. We can recognize how awful that is. And at the same time, do so without, you know, writing off or diminishing the feelings of women who find themselves in situations akin to the one Rebecca Watson found herself in. You know, I mean, they might not be equal in severity or, you know, completely analogous, where obviously female genital mutilation, honor killings, these things are far more extreme and horrific than being hit on in an elevator. But that being said, once again, that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, write off or laugh off or diminish uh, the concerns and feelings of women who find themselves in these kind of situations. And it's funny, I'm actually subscribed to Rebecca Watson's YouTube channel, and she's still, you know, she's not like my favorite person. She can be kind of caustic, you know, but uh, I'll, I watch her videos and uh, often I actually find myself agreeing with her on a, a lot of topics. But she, wow, she definitely went for Richard Dawkins' throat. It's safe to say there's no love lost there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's because of Dear Muslima or what, but Dawkins is definitely not her favorite person. So she has her take on Dawkins and eugenics, and I have mine. I still like Richard Dawkins, man. You know what I mean? I still like them four horsemen. <laughs> but anyway, I guess I'll call it a wrap with that. As always, thanks for listening. 
You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. Uh, I almost said Facebook channel. You can follow the show on Twitter, even though I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Twitter. I'm not super active there, but I will publish links to the most recent episodes and things like that. And if you want to support the show monetarily, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the week in doubt and support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. Or if you're in the mood for that famous alliteration, you can also go to Podbean and look for the PayPal widget at the bottom of the page and uh, donate to the show that way. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.